Welcome to Extreme Genes, brought to you by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This week on Extreme Genes Family History Radio, he's a legend in the genealogy field. Hi, it's Fisher, and I'll be talking to Dr. Henry Louis Gates from the PBS series Finding Your Roots. We're going to talk about the show, how it began, how it's evolved, and we're also going to talk about his program for educating inner-city youth on how to research their families and their origins. That's all this week on Extreme Genes Family History Radio, brought to you by FamilySearch.org. Discover, gather, connect, a presentation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And welcome to America's Family History Show, Extreme Genes and ExtremeGenes.com. My name is Fisher. I am your radio root sleuth on the program where we shake your family tree and watch the nuts fall out. And this episode is brought to you by BYU TV's Relative Race on Sunday nights, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. And uh, what a show we have for you today. We got Dr. Henry Louis Gates, host of PBS's hit series, Finding Your Roots. And we're going to do two segments with Dr. Gates, not only talking about the show, but also about a program he got going to introduce young people to genealogy and the science of it, charting your ancestors and the research. And I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Later on in the show, we're going to talk to Team Blue from Relative Race as they've just completed episode three. So we'll find out what some of their feelings are through the series thus far. And right now it's time to head out to Boston for David Allen Lambert, the chief genealogist of the New England Historic Genealogical Society and AmericanAncestors.org. Hello, David. Hey, how are you, kiddo? I am good. I had another score on eBay this past week. <laughs> yeah. uh, let me guess, a Hannes Wagner baseball card. No, no, no. This is a family Shuck. thing. I oh, actually okay. found a postcard from 1908 from Tottenville, Staten Island in New mm-hmm. York, and it had a photo of the restaurant slash hotel of my great-granduncle Nelson Waldrion, which is a really rare version of the name Waldron, and uh, you can actually see the name on the sign outside of the house. It's really incredible. Got it for like $16, but it's in perfect condition. It was really fun to get. Even my wife was impressed with this one. Well, that's really good. And it sounds like it didn't break the bank, right? The postcards are pretty reasonable occasionally. Yeah, pretty much so. (laughs) Well, let's get on with our family histoire news today. Where do you want to start? I'm going to start with the weather, actually. You know, back in the 1500s, English speakers began referring to the seasons as sort of a description, like the fall of the leaf or the spring of the leaf. Yeah. Well, they kind of shortened it to fall and spring, and that's where we get that from. Yeah, and you know, the English only use autumn now, and apparently Mm -hmm. we Americans are the only ones who use autumn or fall interchangeably. I didn't know that. And, of course, like many of our words from England, you get a French origin. I believe autumn comes from autopemne. Yeah. Oh, you speak such beautiful French there, David. Very nice. By the way, you can read this story at ExtremeGenes.com. We link to it right there. That's always a fun thing to do. That gives me the reading material on my commute. Well, this person was commuting with a 16th century book in their backpack. That's what an American hitchhiker had when a couple from England picked him up, and they noticed this old book in his bag and asked how much he wanted for it. Well, they returned it to the church in Lyndhurst, England, and it dates back to 1532 with baptisms and marriages, and the church is kind of puzzled where it came from because it's not in recent history that it's been lost. They didn't even know it existed then. Mm-hmm. They probably thought they just had lost records. So, 
you just never know. Picking up a hitchhiker might give you a genealogical treasure. <laughs> now, this started in the 1500s, and then how far forward did it come? Right into the 1700s. So 1532, wow. right until the time of, say, the American Revolutionary War. That is going to be very important for somebody coming up in the not-too-distant future once this gets digitized. Next on Family History News is a story of a baby that was abandoned in an Atlanta hotel right around the time of World War II. And the headline in the newspaper basically said he was mothered by local nurses. So he really didn't know his origins until recently. In fact, it was DNA that revealed to Richard Cole his true parentage, which is something that keeps on coming up. It's an amazing technology that we have. It's not just showing us our ancestors, but in some cases giving parentage back to people who never knew them. Isn't that amazing? That's called a foundling, of course, when somebody's abandoned, Mm -hmm. where you have no clue of anything. And identity of parents and birth families of foundlings are being found all the time now through DNA. So our next story, which you can also find on ExtremeGenes.com, deals with another disappearance. Well, this time was back in 1912. The Dunbar family out of Louisiana went on a family camping vacation to kind of escape the heat and went down to the bayou. And the problem with that is they're alligators. And that's the fate they thought their young son met. And back in 1912, there was a search, there's a reward. A man came forward and was with a child that kind of met the description. But when that child's mother came forward, a Mrs. Anderson, claiming that was her child, she was ridiculed and basically said she was a liar. And the child was given to the Dunbars. But was it really the Dunbar's child? Yeah, and this is where DNA, of course, has come in because the child's son is still with us, Bobby Jr., and it turns out he doesn't match his own family. So what's interesting about this, David, is that in the story they talk about, aha, he doesn't match the family, so he must be the other person. But they make no mention in the story about DNA testing him against the descendants of this woman who claimed he was her child. And And that would be the logical thing to do. Yes, exactly. But it could also be that the writer of the story wasn't aware of that detail, or he just made the assumption, or maybe that's just what they did. They said, well, he doesn't match here. He must be this other guy who went by the name of Bruce Anderson. So it seems likely that Bobby Dunbar Sr. actually did meet a fate that night in the bayou with an alligator. That's a shame. Again, more work needs to be done on this before drawing a conclusion. All right. Thank you, David. And, of course, you're going to be back later on at the back end of the show as we do another Ask Us Anything segment, and we will talk to you then. All righty. All right. And coming up next, he is the host of the popular PBS genealogy show, Finding Your Roots. Dr. Henry Louis Gates is coming up for two segments. And I first met my next guest just a year and a half ago at Roots Tech when he was one of the keynote speakers there. And I was one of the speakers in that same event. Dr. Henry Louis Gates, and he is a Alphonse Fletcher University professor, director of the Hutchins Center for African and African-American Research at Harvard University, an Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, literary scholar, journalist, cultural critic, institution builder, 55 honorary degrees, Dr. Gates? <laughs> that must be a typo. What can I say? Do, do you sleep? <laughs> do you ever sleep? 
<laughs> like a baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm a morning person, so I go to bed early. It must be genetic, right? Wow. Yeah. You know what? You're right. I did morning radio for 30 years and then finally said, I can't do this anymore because I am genetically a night person. It was very tough yeah, on me. And my wife is a Cuban citizen, has a green card. She's a Cuban historian. And she's just the opposite. She's nocturnal. And so we kind of uh, <laughs> put me to bed and work till about 2 or 3 a.m. in the archives. <laughs> I read that somebody called you the tour guide to the family histories of the stars. And I really love that description because you are exactly that. And we've got season six happening right now on PBS. Two new episodes happening this month. Eight new episodes in January. And then six new episodes in October of next year. Let's talk about the season. Okay, that's great. First of all, I love that. That's such a compliment. I I, I hadn't heard that before, being called the tour guide. (laughs) It's perfect. It's perfect. It's a great honor. I love, as you know, and as you can see from my RootStack presentation, uh, I love doing genealogy, and I love the fact that genetics, tracing ancestry through genetics, has grown precisely with the history of finding your roots. And remember, when I started in 2005, it was called African American Lives because we just did African Americans. We did Mm -hmm. Oprah and Quincy Jones and Chris Tucker. And then we did a sequel because it was so popular. And it was African American Lives too with Morgan Freeman and Maya Angelou and Tina Turner. And when I got the idea, I thought the emotional high point of the series would be revealing to African American guests what ethnic group they were from in Africa. And I had a very simplistic notion about how ancestral DNA worked. But I understood mitochondrial DNA and Y DNA. So that's what the original pitch when I was trying to raise the money for the series was based on. How would you like your company associated with the whole world learning what quote-unquote tribe or ethnic group that Oprah Winfrey is descended from? Sure. But two things happened. One, when we were filming Oprah and we were doing our family tree, and by the way, I decided I'd do their family tree back to slavery. And then when the paper trail disappeared, we would take them back to Africa. And in fact, I actually traced Chris Tucker's Y-DNA to an ethnic group in Angola. He and I flew to Luanda, the capital. Incredible. Then took another long domestic flight and went back to the village where this ethnic group was based. It was very moving. But my first guest was Oprah, and we were filming it. She broke down and cried when she saw the name of her enslaved ancestors. Yes. The actual people on their family tree. And I realized that people would have an intellectual reaction knowing where they were from in Africa. Remember, autosomal DNA wasn't quote-unquote invented. <laughs> it wasn't really. You know, nobody, <laughs> there was no commercial company in 2005 giving you a $99 test, sharing your autosomal DNA and your DNA cousins, as it were. Well, in 2009, I got a letter from a lady of Russian Jewish descent, and she said, you know, you have to expand this. What are you, a racist? You know, only doing black people. How about me? I'm a Russian Jewish heritage. So I cracked up. At first I thought, well, it's never going to work. I teach African and African-American studies. I'm a black man. This is what I do. And then I thought, why not? And so I talked to our sponsor, Coca-Cola. I talked to PBS, and they all said, let's go for it. So in 2009, we decided to do other ethnic groups. I said, well, I'll do it like Noah. 
you know, two Catholics, <laughs> two Jews, two Asians, <laughs> two Jamaicans. Right. And that's what we did. But when we were at the Broad Institute, and I never heard the word autosomal, right. we were using them to check all our DNA results, but also to teach me. And so I needed a crash course in genetics. So these guys were teaching me, giving me things to read. They were really wonderful. And it just occurred to me, out of the blue, to ask them, is there any way that we could tell if any of the people employed in this building at the Broad Institute is related to each other, even if they don't know it? Huh. And their eyes lit up, and they said, yes, it's called autosomal DNA. And I said, well, tell me how it works. And they said, well, if you share long identical segments of DNA with another human being, it's not random. It will be because you share a recent common ancestor. So if you had an ideal family tree, you and that other person would share a common ancestor. And I said, okay. So we shared the DNA with Stephen Colbert and Mike Nichols, Eva Longoria, Yo-Yo Ma, Malcolm Gladwell, Elizabeth Alexander, and all the other people who are in the series. And we shot this segment when we put their pictures up on a whiteboard at the Broad. And then David Altshuler and Mark rearranged them as DNA cousins. And the effect was electric, mind-blowing, that people were so excited that this almost secret ancestral relationship was hidden in plain sight, as it were. Oh, wow. In your genome. Yeah. And autosomal DNA revolutionized our TV series. And as you know, it's pivotal to adoptees finding their birth parents. Oh, and, and foundlings. Uh, and foundlings and many, many other implications, including recent developments in cold case resolution. So it is so exciting. And whenever I'm interviewed, people always ask, okay, who are the DNA cousins? And they find that magic. For example, Angelica <laughs> Houston yes. will learn that she is 2.7% Jewish. So the flip side of the coin is your admixture, right? So that has enormous political implications. The fact that, say, for African-Americans, the average African-American is 24% European. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yes. You know, that's 25% of your recent ancestors. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm 50-50. Which really? Is a total shock. The chairman of the Department of African and African American Studies at Harvard University with half a white man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, these discoveries, I mean, as people become more and more aware of that admixture, I mean, it's got to change the discussion, don't you think? Absolutely. I was about to tell you about Angelica Houston. She's 2.7% Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. And she is DNA cousin with Bernie Sanders and Larry David. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's marvelous. But the subliminal political messages of finding your roots, and I think these are two of the three reasons that it's so popular. One, that we're all immigrants. Even my African-American enslaved ancestors came here in chains, but they came here from Africa. So they were unwilling immigrants, but even they are immigrants. Right. But all immigrants, even Native Americans, migrated down through the Bering Strait. 16,000 or so years ago. So we're a nation of immigrants. And secondly, we are 99.9% identical genetically, so that we're brothers and sisters. The third reason I think our series is so popular is because we live in such an unsettled and unsettling time. And people are looking for stability because of the wonders of DNA analysis and the revolution in genealogy 
created by digitization, I think people are turning for stability into themselves, meaning who did I come from? Who am I? Who is back there? And as you well know, you are a walking family tree because you literally carry DNA from ancestors going back almost 200 years. We actually are the record now. You know, it used to be you look up in books, you look for documents, but now we are the record, which is just amazing to me. It is amazing. It's a kind of ancestral immortality that is passed along through your descendants. And you know, the metaphor I use is that our ancestors are in a kind of suspended animation. Right. And they have a story to tell. And they can only tell the story if you find them. And when you find them, you release them from this state of suspended animation. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that? But it's no, true. you're you're absolutely right. And season six of Finding Your Roots is now on PBS. And uh, what is it? A total of one, two, sixteen episodes. That's incredible. Yeah, up from ten. We're the second most popular series on PBS after. Antique Roadshow. Yeah. <laughs> and you got Gail King on this year, Eric Stone Street, Jeff Goldblum, Sigourney Weaver, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Queen Latifah. Love her. And what a great list. And Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Madam Speaker. <laughs> yeah, and I called her that throughout the whole interview. Last week, literally, there's a shuttle every hour from Boston to Washington. So I was going down to do a fireside chat with Robert Smith. Robert Smith is the great philanthropist who forgave the loan to the graduating seniors at Morehouse College Yes, earlier in the summer. And I was standing in line about to board the flight, and I looked up, and there was Mitt Romney. And I said, uh, Senator, how are you doing? And fine. And we were talking about genealogy in Utah and how much I love going to the Family History Library. And then I said, look, we did Senator John McCain. We did Marco Rubio. We did Congressman John Lewis, Senator Cory Booker, Tulsi Gabbard. I said, how about you? And he said, deal. (laughs) Wow. Well, that'll be fun for a lot of people to see that. Good get. Dr. Gates, I had to talk to you about this show called The Seedlings because I know there are so many people who have not heard about it. And frankly, (laughs) more important to me than the show itself is the concept of what you have started in training young people in genealogy, in genetics. I mean, I'm looking at all the basics of this course you've set up at Penn State. Yep. I'll tell you where it started. I read a survey in the Washington Post. They had interviewed black inner city middle school children, and it said, list things white, quote unquote. And on that list was speaking standard English, getting straight A's in school, and visiting the Smithsonian. Now, if anyone had said anything that ridiculous when I was growing up, your mother would have smacked you. Yeah. They would have called the doctor. You know, there's something wrong with you. Because the traditional black values, one of the most important was in education. That the way to fight back against racism, white supremacy, hatred, was through being educated. So this was a black value, and somehow that was lost for some members of our community. So I was thinking... How can we reignite the interest of inner-city brown and black kids? This is how I started the idea. And I thought, well, we'll go to the social studies teacher, eighth-grade social studies teacher. And the lesson today will be a six-week unit. will be tracing your family tree. That will show them how to go home and interview their mother, their father, their grandparents, come back with that research, 
and then we'll take them online and take them back to the 1940 census, which, of course, is the most recent census yep. online. And then we'll let them trace their ancestry back, in the case of black kids, to 1870. And you understand that was the sure. first census following the Civil War when all black people were listed in the census. Because in 1860, 90% of the black community was enslaved. And if you were a slave, they did not list you by name in the census. But at 10% of our ancestors were free, and they would be listed in the census. So anyway, we take it back to the 1870 census. And then if your ancestor's name was, well, in the case of Oprah, we found her great-great-grandfather was called Constantine Winfrey. And he was living next door in Ottawa County, Mississippi, to a white man named Absalom Winfrey. And let's say he was 33 years old. So we go back to the 1860 census and find Absalom Winfrey, a white man, and we look at the slave schedule, and he owned a black man who was 23 in 1860. Well, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out that most probably that was Constantine Winfrey. <laughs> of course. And so they build their family tree in the social studies class. They had to learn about history. They learn about archival research, technology, digitization, using computers, all in one highly motivated lesson plan dependent upon them finding more about themselves. Because what's your favorite subject? Everyone's favorite subject is yourself. Is me. And it's a That's foolproof right. <laughs> method. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nobody is going to say, no, I don't want to know more about myself. Did, did I mean, you have any concerns from the parents that uh, something secret might be revealed through all this, some of them opting out? Well, you have to get permission of the parents because part two of the lesson plan is that then we go down the hall from the social studies teacher to the science teacher. Ah. And then we have everyone test their DNA, and they spit in the test tube, and while they wait on the results, we teach them about Watson and Crick and the double helix, and why DNA, mitochondrial DNA, how it all works. And then when they get the results back, they get their own website, as you know, from one of the major DNA companies, and then they can find out their admixture, their percentages of sub-Saharan and European and Asian and Native wow. American and 50 other subcategories, and they can be connected to their DNA cousins, people with whom they share long identical segments of DNA, that some of which will probably at this point be their mother and their father, right. their brother and sister or cousin, but also people that they don't know. But you're absolutely right. You have to get the permission of the parent. Because I did this for Chris Rock's wife. She had an after-school program, and she asked me to test everyone's DNA, which I did with Cece. Cece interpreted the results, and then I gave them all certificates about their African origin. But there was one woman among the parents who refused and Ooh. we were very careful not to make that child feel bad or different. And there was no question that came up about paternity or anything like that. Right. And we didn't even ask her why. It was just her right to do it. Now, of course, I realize that maybe it was for religious reasons, but maybe it was because of paternity. Sure. And I've had incredibly famous people who have told me, they want to be in the series, but their parents say, you could not be in this series. <laughs> mm. and, and you kind of get a hint of why that might be. <laughs> yeah. And often they don't know. They go, 
Maybe you'll talk to my parents and they think there's something embarrassing. And then I go, yeah, there's something really embarrassing, probably. <laughs> yes. Um, well, and, you know, that's the thing. They're just so, there are no more secrets really anymore. And ultimately, as no, we no, know, no, no as, more secrets. And as Cece Moore is proving over and over again with her cold case work, I mean, you don't even need to know the identity of the person in the kit. You can figure out who they are. And so kids like yeah, this who come figure, along, you, you know, can, they're going to find out eventually yeah. in all likelihood. They will find out eventually. So, you know, I was going around the country giving lectures about the origins of finding roots. And at the end, I would talk about my genealogy and genetics curriculum that I was hoping to get money from. And the former president of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation happened to be in an audience. And she said, that idea is brilliant. Write me a proposal. And I think she gave us $700,000. And then we wow. got, I made a phone call to the president of the Rockefeller Foundation. We raised about a million dollars. And by this time, I had given the lecture in front of a brilliant genetic anthropologist, an expert on the origins of skin color, among other things. And her name is Nina Yablonski. And she's a professor of anthropology at Penn State University. And she's a genius, just a genius. And she said, let's partner. And so, you know, you needed a whole team to run summer camps to as an experiment. And she agreed to do that. And she and her colleagues, we brought a, a, a brilliant Ethiopian professor from um, Brown University to come down and work for the summer. And then they recruited students from different parts of the country. I came down to lecture and meet them. And we did it for two summers, but again, Nina did all of the implementation. And the PBS station at Penn State filmed this. It's a web series. You could go online. It's called Finding Your Roots, The Seedlings. And just on Saturday, September 28th, we won our third Mid-Atlantic Emmy for episodes of finding your roots to seedlings. And my hope is is that this program, this concept, becomes commonplace in junior high schools and high schools throughout the country. Everywhere. I want it to be part of the curriculum everywhere yep. because it will revolutionize a student's attitude toward science and toward history. And towards race and culture and each other and themselves. Everything. And toward the unity of the human community. Yes. I love it. It's, That's my goal. And the lesson plans are there online right now for free. Finding Your Roots to Seedlings. You can go to the Finding Your Roots website and there's a link or you can find it independently, but it's all there for free. I love it. He's Dr. Henry Louis Gates. He is the tour guide to family histories of the stars, of course, with Finding Your Roots on PBS now in season six. Dr. Gates, an honor to have you on and we look forward to having you back on Extreme Genes in the not too distant future. Listen, you could call, wake me up and I'd do an interview anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, doctor. Take care. Thank you, brother. Take care. Well, as we all know by now, BYU TV's Relative Race is back Sunday nights at 8 Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. And I'm very excited to talk to Team Blue, Anitra and Paul. They are on the line right now. Where are you guys located, Anitra? We are in Wilmington, North Carolina. All right. And I was just seeing in the last episode you were sent to Salem, Virginia. And I'm just thinking, what an adventure that you guys were sent on. And for people not familiar with the show, basically people apply to be on it. They do DNA tests. A research team goes out and finds relatives. 
and they basically take cars to different places all over the country. They have to hit a certain time. They're competing for $50,000. But the most important thing at the end of the day is you're getting answers to questions you've wondered about all your life. And in this particular season, somebody on every team on the show, on all four teams, is looking for birth parents. And Anitra, you are no exception to that. And this was quite a visit you had with your cousin, LaShonda. How did you feel as she revealed to you that your grandmother wanted to keep you before you were ultimately given up for adoption? Well, it was actually something that was nice to know because for so long I'd wondered why I was given up and my sister was kept in the family. And I didn't know anything about whether people tried to look for me or if my family knew anything about me. So it was nice to hear from her that her grandmother and and my great aunt actually did try to find me and did want to raise me in the house with my cousin LaShonda. And so did that bring you some peace? It really did. In my early 20s, I carried around a lot of, well, am I good enough? Can I do this? Because I had the weight of not knowing whether I was really wanted by my birth family. So to find out that I was did bring a lot of peace and a lot of closure to that part. And, and you were a community college teacher, and you found out your grandmother was a teacher as well. Yes. And that was the coolest discovery. Well, one of the cooler discoveries of that particular episode, because teaching apparently runs in my blood. So, (laughs) Wow. And Paul, you know, as the partner in this whole thing, and of course, you're having your experiences as well. How did you feel about this, watching your beautiful wife go through this experience of learning about this incredible past? It it was kind of one of those things where, like, I, I know her and I know sort of the struggles that she's had. And getting that information, I know what that's going to do for her. And I was just elated to see that she was indeed wanted, and they did make an effort to try to keep her into the family. That was huge. So since the show, i got to ask you, what's the relationship been like now that you're back in touch with your birth family? This has been really a time of building with everyone, of getting to know everyone, of allowing everyone to get to know me and my family. So it's been wonderful, really. So uh, are you getting recognized in the malls now when you when you go around town, Anitra and Paul? <laughs> she's, uh, everybody already knows her anywhere from teaching down at the uh, community college. Everywhere we go, she, she always has this little joke. She's like, oh, those are my people. I'm a celebrity. And it's, so, <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> well, I bet you it's a lot of fun. And, you know, for those kids, though, they get to know you as a person and not just as a professor. Anitra. And uh, I wanted to give you a hug myself, just like your cousin was doing for you going, oh, hugger. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. (laughs) Oh, and actually, Scott, if we can, we actually like everyone to tune in to our Relative Race podcast. It's called After the Race podcast, and it's available on many, many platforms. We're on Instagram and on Facebook. So follow us. Tune into the episodes with a continuation of the conversation of engagement with our fans. Sounds like a great one. I'm looking forward to listening to it. Thanks so much, Anitra and Paul. No Thank problem. You. Thank you. And it is time for Ask Us Anything on Extreme Genes, America's Family History Show. Fisher here, back with David Allen Lambert, the Chief Genealogist of the New England Historic Genealogical Society and AmericanAncestors.org. And this is a section each week where we answer your questions. And we've got one here, David, from Mary C. 
in Phoenix. And she said, hi, I happened to hear your radio show here in Phoenix one Saturday. And because I was beginning to do some research and fill out my family tree, I started listening to the podcast. Now I am hooked and I listen every week. So here's my question. Where can I find sites or opportunities to index historical records on a volunteer basis? I think it's fulfilling to help transcribe personal information that may help someone in their research while learning about and relating to history myself. Thanks, Mary C. That's well, awesome. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty wonderful request to put out there, but I could say Family Search. Yes, FamilySearch.org is run and operated by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. And mm-hmm. uh, people are constantly indexing records from all over the place, but you don't have to be a member of the church in order to participate. In fact, if you go to FamilySearch.org slash indexing, you'll find over 100 projects right now from all over the world that you can help index. And, you know, and it's not just family search. Here at American Ancestors, we have the Roman Catholic Archdiocese Project for the Greater Boston Area, and volunteers have helped us do that. And other societies out there also have volunteering from the local level to the large dot coms. Yeah, that's right. There are actually organizations everywhere. And I'm sure, Mary, if you were to do just a Google search for indexing, you will find all kinds of places that would be more than happy to have you volunteer your time. And isn't it great, David, that now we can do this from pretty much anywhere on our phones, sitting in a parking lot while somebody's in the grocery store, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just so many things. And I'll tell you, I think we've all been the beneficiaries of people's indexing and we don't even know it. We just take it for granted now because these records show up and we go, oh, look at this. I found this person. Well, you would not have found that person if some other person hadn't kindly donated their time to indexing certain record sets. And it's still going on every day. And I don't know that it's ever going to stop. It's amazing, isn't it? And like I say, technology has made it so. I remember years ago when you did indexing, they sent you a pile of papers. Yes. And you indexed it and on a CD and sent it back. But now just do it from home in your pajamas. You know, I actually did it before DVDs at that time. We would get a pile of papers and little cards, and one person would do it on cards and send it in to somebody who would oversee the project, and then another person would do the same thing, and then the overseer would go through and match up the cards to make sure that they were identical, because if somebody read one as somewhat different from the other person, then the overseer of the project would go back to the original record and try to determine who got it right, if either of them did, because sometimes the handwriting was really kind of complicated. And I had that role for many years working on projects. And that's why we both wear glasses today. (laughs) (laughs) You are absolutely right. So that's a great question. And uh, thanks so much, Mary, for offering your volunteer time for this, because uh, we do all benefit from it. And it's a great way to give back to all the people who have given us all that we have now so that we can so much more easily find our ancestors. Hey, if you have a question for Ask Us Anything, it's really easy to ask that question. Just email us at askusanything at extremegenes.com. David, have a great Great week. Talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon, my friend. Well, that is a wrap on this week's show, and I hope you enjoyed it. Dr. Henry Lewis Gates for two segments. We talked to Team Blue from Relative Race on BYU TV. Talk to you again next week, and remember, as far as everyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. This has been Extreme Genes. Share your family story by going to FamilySearch.org.